Welcome back to Resonant Reels, where we talk about movies and television and, you know, all the crazy stuff with your two favorite, maybe favorite audio people. Hopefully favorite. I don't know. <laughs> something around there. I'm Chandler. I'm Adam. Today, we are talking about some family friendly, you know, E for everyone, GPG Halloween movies, you know, just to ease Adam in because he's not a scary movie guy. Correct. Um, no, it was fun watching these. I feel like we watched them early because I guess technically we had to. And <laughs> um, but I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to like maybe rewatch them in the actual Halloween season uh, with our listeners as this releases. That'd be fun and see what people think. And I mean, for me, rewatching one of these that I haven't seen in like a decade or something, I was just like, did not remember stuff from this movie like that, you know? Yes. Okay. That was me with both of these. Honestly, it's been, I, I've definitely seen my movie more recently than I saw yours. Watching yours was insane. Totally agree. So yeah, let's start with Halloween Town, you know, before we go on a crazy trip of Casper. Perfect. So so my movie for this week was um, Halloween Town, which premiered in 1998. And it was a decom. It was a Disney Channel original movie. And the director was I might butcher this, but I believe it's Dwayne Dunham. And yeah, this was this was just a movie that I remember when I was a kid, like if it was on Disney Channel, it was it was playing on my television. I I loved this movie during uh, the Halloween season. I thought it was so just like fun. And rewatching it now too, it made me really nostalgic in a way of like realizing that I crave the creativity like of this storyline. You know, this isn't a it's not based on like a source material. It's it's not. Uh, a sequel to anything like it's just a Disney Channel original movie and like it's such a creative plot line also as a kid I super did not appreciate that Debbie Reynolds uh was fully like a main actor in this film because that's awesome and again rewatching I'm like god damn Debbie Reynolds like just like awesome like it's just so good so yeah so to talk about the actual film a little bit basically this is the this is the quick and dirty summary I'll say is you have these three kids who are living in the mortal world and their mom is raising them like as normal kids and then grandma comes to town and grandma just kind of like aka Debbie Reynolds just like fucked everything up um in a, in a great way because we learn that debbie reynolds who plays aggie is a witch and therefore we also learn that her daughter gwen is a witch and therefore these kids are also witches um but they have no idea and so like 15 minutes maybe into the film we immediately have family tension because gwen does not want the kids to know and aggie's like they have to know especially because the oldest daughter, Marnie, is about to turn 13. And so we find out that if she's not trained in her powers, by the time she turns 13, then she loses them forever. And if Gwen had her way, that would be exactly what happens because she does not want her kids to have magical powers. And so right off the bat, that's kind of our our tension point is like, these kids, not so much the brother, whose name is Dylan, but Marty in particular really wants to like dabble around in all of the things that her mother says she shouldn't as a typical almost 13 year old child does, especially I feel like in a, a mother daughter relationship. Exactly. No, totally get it. Yeah, it's it's funny that way. From there, they just kind of like Marnie breaks out of the house after bedtime. Yeah, so Aggie, like, leaves, the grandma leaves after this, like, argument with Gwen. And then Marnie and her brother Dylan sneak out to, like, follow her because they overheard in that argument, they were, like, eavesdropping about how, like, magic is real and, like, they have powers and all this stuff. And so they, like, follow her out to this magical bus stop. Also, also, before this, Aggie did put the kids to bed with a bedtime story and, like, the book itself literally has, like, a drawing that looks just like Marnie being a witch in it, which, like, triggers Marnie further. Yeah, and the book is called Halloween Town, so it's 
<laughs> like, and I'm just like, did this book exist or did Aggie like make this book like to just further read to these kids? Like, so this like begs the question from like, I, I mean, I understand it's like a family friendly movie. It's like Disney, you know, it's supposed to be fun with it and stuff. But I, I come sometimes at like these Disney Channel original movies specifically of like, can you find darker intent by the characters? <laughs> of like manipulation and stuff and i'm like this is this is this is this ain't kosher that's not 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 cool oh absolutely okay hold on i'm gonna pause this really quick and i'm gonna say this um and i will get into it about both movies we have a theme between these two movies that i don't know if you picked up on but it's called men need to go to therapy um and (laughs) and that is like a, a common theme between this movie and your movie and i will get into that as we continue to talk about halloween town so there is absolutely darker intent among some of these characters more so than just like a, a happy-go-lucky disney movie for sure so anyway so marnie and dylan like get on this bus that they stock aggie onto and then they completely lose sight of her and of course they do because she's a a uh, older witch like she's not just gonna like she has no idea that they're following her so in the losing of their grandmother they they find that their youngest sibling sophie has snuck onto the bus with them so marnie and dylan are following aggie aggie has no idea and apparently sophie has been following marnie and dylan this whole time and marnie and dylan had no idea so now all three of them have wound up in Halloween Town by getting on this magical bus and they have no idea where they are. They don't know anybody. Like, they're just lost. And, like, that was such a cool... Just, like, shot in the in the film of them like looking around and the camera's, like, panning with them as they look around and it's just, like, weird creatures and warlocks and, like, there's just, like, pumpkins everywhere. <laughs> That's, like, the main decor. The scenic designers really said just pumpkins. Like, everything just pumpkins. And it was really, like, a contrast because the only thing that we really saw in the, like, mortal realm was the inside of their house and then, like, when they walked down the streets of their, like, suburban neighborhood at night. So this really is a huge shift visually in like their scenic surroundings so anyway they're kind of lost now and they try to look for their grandma and they run into the mayor of halloween town and his name is calabar and he is like this i don't know kind of like smooth talking like hair kind of like slicked back like he he radiates politician a little bit and it makes sense because he's he's the mayor of the town so he gets them a cab and they're you know their interactions fairly short you know he's being super nice and the cab rolls up and it's being driven by a skeleton which is crazy and it's almost like if it wasn't so absurd it would definitely be like a jump scare uh because like you don't see any skeletons prior to this like at all like you again you're really seeing just pumpkins and then there's benny the cab driver who's just a straight up skeleton like comes through and he just tells a bunch of really like bad jokes like he like he's just got like a really terrible sense of humor he has that animatronic joke about like disney imagineers and the funny thing is disney imagineers helped create benny for the dis for this movie yeah so he's absolutely like poking fun at himself slash his creators i suppose so yeah so they get to their grandma's mansion because they learn that everybody in this town apparently knows their grandma. And so they were like, great. So they wind up there and Aggie is like, how did you get here? But also was like pumped that these kids showed up at her front door. She like, this is everything you can tell that like she's been wanting for forever, which is so accurate. I feel like to a lot of like grandparent, grandchild relationships is like they are the ones who like push the boundaries and spoil and things and it's like their own kids are like what the fuck you were never like this like when I was growing up and they're like but these are my grandkids they're not my kids so like (laughs) so she 
like immediately takes him in and she's like, Marnie, we're training. She was like, get ready because you're going to like you're a witch. We're going to foster these powers. But there's this caveat that she keeps saying like there's this like bad thing that's happening in Halloween Town. And she actually brought it up to Gwen when they were in this argument at the top of the movie. She like talks about how she's had like friends go missing in the town. And you can tell that Aggie's taking it really seriously. But Gwen was kind of like from a really defensive position being like, well, maybe they just moved away from Halloween Town. Like, did you ever think about that? And like, Aggie's very adamant that like something bad is happening. And so She's like, we're going to train, but first I have to like deal with whatever this like bad thing is. And so she like shows them. So this is like their first exposure to their grandma doing magic. She's got this like cauldron that she like whips out. And in the cauldron, we see this like visual of just like this hooded figure, which like watching it now is so funny because it's like not ominous at all. It's like, it's just kind of dorky. It's like very clearly an actor just in some like black robes and like a bunch of reverb put on top of the laugh that just <laughs> like reverberates through. And so she has this talisman, which this is what's weird to me is because like, it's called Merlin's Talisman. And so obviously, like, Merlin is a very popular, like, magical figure just, like, within, like, literature and, and things like that. But, like, it's the only thing in this entire franchise that's, like, I don't know if historical is the right word, but, like, that's that, that makes any sort of reference to any other sort of magical thing outside of this movie and so again i'm like wait but i want the backstory on how like aggie wound up with merlin's talisman uh like where's that movie because that would be sick and so yeah so she she's like this is what i have to use to like defeat this bad guy and then she like tries to activate it with an instant potion which is very funny to me that that was like something that they added in is that there's like yeah, make your own potions. And there's like instant potions um, that you can just like go buy and it fails immediately. And so they now go out on the town to like, buy the right ingredients. And it's like, it's casual things. It's like, werewolf hair and like, ghost sweats, I wrote it down and a vampire fang. Like, and I'm like, okay, so we we just took like three main mythological creatures and like, said, we just need something from each of them to go through. So like the the magic within this world is not particularly, you know, unique or complex, I would argue it's just fun. And so they go out on the town to try to buy that stuff. And again, we see people like saying hi to Aggie. It's like everybody truly knows her and they run into luke and luke is a handsome dude that we that handsome goblin because he's a goblin but this is where we find out too that he was made handsome by like a shadow creature is what we're told slash called this is the only other like ominous thing that we see outside or hear about outside of just Aggie saying the bad thing and seeing like the hooded creature laugh. So I think the goal is that we maybe associate that the shadow creature is the same like person or like is involved in the same in the same way. But it's very funny because he tries to awkwardly flirt with Marnie and <laughs> and and she's immediately just like nah I'm like I'm good fam thanks though like like basically so it's like even though he's like made the look handsome he's still a total like kind of geek uh which I enjoyed like that was just kind of a, a fun moment to watch so then we kind of jump to like Gwen finds out that all of her kids are gone um which is I'm like, how long did it actually take you to figure that out? That that they're all missing. Um, sure. <laughs> Time in Halloween Town works differently than the real world, right? So she went to go check on them after she put them to bed. Maybe a mere thirty minutes after Grandma left, which is a whole day in Halloween Town. Yes. 
they're like living a whole life in Halloween Town, and she is like, "Where the fuck did my kids go? It's been half an hour." So she she gets to Halloween Town because you know we have a classic Disney Channel move of like the parent reacts in a small aside to themselves, where she's just like, "Damn it, mom," or something like that, and like realizes it, like blames Aggie doesn't blame the kids at all but it's like my grandma or my mom stole my kids like basically and um goes to get them marnie is very upset when her mom like actually shows up gwen's like we are leaving say goodbye sophie's also very sad dylan is such a rule follower he was like he like he'll do anything he's he's told that's like his character but then they they go to like get on this magic bus and they it, there is not another magic bus that's going back to the mortal world and this is where we meet another fun character with this like ticket vendor guy and he's got two heads and they are doing the classic thing of not agreeing with each other so another fun little a little trope in there for that character that we only see in this moment they then decide like oh well let's go see calabar because he helped us before he's the mayor like maybe he would be able to get us like a, a magical bus back to the mortal world and this is where we find out that gwen is the ex-girlfriend of calabar <laughs> and she's like very surprised a to see him and b that he is the mayor yeah so there's immediate tension and the kids are like ex-boyfriend like they're like learning something you know as you do when you learn an adult fact about a, about your parent and you're when you're a kid and so he leaves he like has to go do something i don't remember what he gets called away for they in that moment when they're left alone they see aggie walking with handsome goblin guy and they get concerned so they start now following them again to this abandoned movie theater area and let me tell you when i was a kid i thought this was one of the scariest like scenes ever and i i think it has to do with the sound design because the visuals themselves are not like particularly scary like i feel like empty movie theaters kind of pop up in movies rather you know frequently but it is the like there's like a little static underneath like whatever movie they just have like blasting and it's these people stone still just like staring straight forward and every time it would come on when i was a kid i remember like i would just like tense up and i and i think it was just the like they did a great job at, at the like still vastness acoustically like of that movie theater that I, that just like hair raises up on the back of my neck and I'm like, oh, this is not a good place. Like this is bad. Like we shouldn't be here. It's it's weird because right when you like get to that scene of the movie theater, like the whole atmosphere and like mood of the whole movie just shifts and you're like, it, it feels like outer left field. But you're like, I'm watching a Disney Channel original movie. Like, they're going to make choices like these just to get the the feeling across immediately because they don't have time because it's got to be under 90 minutes, you know? Yeah, totally. It Yeah, it is very immediate. So it's jarring. Like, when it's all of a sudden we're there and I'm like, this is not the happy like string instrument music and horns that we've had like for the whole that movie. That feels pre-programmed on like a, a synthesizer keyboard or something like that, you yeah, know? Yeah. So when they're in this uh, movie theater, this like shadow creature guy pops up. We We realize that like these people that are all sitting there just like super still are the people that Aggie has like been trying to say have gone missing. So she's found them. They're there, but they they're very clearly like under some sort of spell or something. And this like shadow creature talks to Aggie and wants Merlin's talisman, which again, we don't know why he even knows there's a Merlin's talisman or how Aggie has it. Um, but apparently we don't need to know. Uh, so it's fine. And of course, Aggie's are our, our, one of our hero, you know, martyr characters. So she's like, no. So the kids and Gwen kind of walk in and like see this as it's happening. Handsome Goblin Luke bolts out because he's a, a wimp and like isn't a part of it. As they enter in, 
and she declines to give him the talisman. He casts some sort of spell, and Gwen and Aggie get frozen. But the kids, of course, manage to escape because nothing bad is going to happen to these kids because it is a Disney Channel original movie. Like, after that, the kids, like, take it on themselves to be the heroes of their own story, and they're like, we gotta go find the ingredients. And it's like this, like, Scooby-Doo, but, like more childish kind of like escapade montage of getting the hair of a werewolf which is at a barber shop and it's like the the guy in charge is a werewolf who stylizes people's hair and everything and it's hilarious and then they have to go get a the sweat of a ghost which is like how who writes this who writes <laughs> this because that is like how it's like go to uh it's like a gym like the local gym yeah he's like he was like working out he's working out and he goes into like the steam pod room thing and it's like it looks something from like last century that's like a torture device in my opinion because i'm like i haven't seen these in my in my whole life like who who recognizes that as something you use as a normal person and then they have to get a vampire's fang, so they go to a dentist. <laughs> Which is very cute. Like, again, like, it, like it's the side of, like, who writes this, but also how how charming. Like, it's, it's very charming. Like, someone clearly was like, well, they're kids, so in a kid's mind, where would these things exist? And, like, that's where they were in Halloween Town. Yeah, and, and that's one of my props to, like, this movie. Like, they really captured the perspective of these kids a lot. Like, everything is from the perspective of these kids for the most part, except for, like, the occasional, like, Gwen being, like, where are my kids and stuff like that. But, like, it's very much when it's the kids in the scene, everything is from their perspective and it's their rationale of what they do next kind of thing. And it makes sense for kids, you know? It's like this is what kids would think to do i i agree completely i think that's one of the reasons that this movie has continued to like because it's clearly not the 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 cgi and things but that but i i think the the commitment to the the feeling of the of the film and and the perspective of the film is why it continues to get played what it like over almost 20 years later yeah I can do math. Over 20 years. Yeah. Okay. 25 even. 20. Great. Yeah. 20. You're so right. 25. Uh, Jesus. Whew. Okay. <laughs> that hurt a little bit. So one of the things I forgot to mention, because I keep talking about pumpkins, there is a giant pumpkin the size of like a car. Bigger. I would say bigger. Bigger. Yeah, you're not wrong. Bigger than like a bigger than a minivan in like the town center, town square. And one thing that they did do was it, it didn't read as ominous, but it did read as like slightly different is there would occasionally be shots of like Sophie or Marnie like looking at the pumpkin and it would just like stay on the pumpkin for a second. And then there would be like a, a prolonged, like, like synth chord or something that would like play as there was a ever so slightly like zoom in on this pumpkin. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. And this is where the pump. Oh, and those moments were also for some reason, very horrifying to me as a kid. So I don't know what was up with me. I think I was just really anxious all the time. But so that once they get all of these ingredients, they are like, they have to activate this talisman with the ingredients and the talisman has to go in the large pumpkin it's a jack-o'-lantern because it has cutouts maybe that's why it was scary is because it had a face and it was so dark inside but it has to go inside of this jack-o'-lantern and that's how they are going to defeat this demon is like they have to restore like the magic to halloween town when they go to do that this shadow creature shows up to try to stop them and lo and behold guess who the shadow creature is it is the mayor of halloween town calabar and here's why i say there's a there's a theme of men need to go to therapy the entire reasoning the entire motive for calabar to do all of this is that he's mad that gwen who they dated when they were teenagers okay chose to marry a human man instead of marrying him who is a like powerful warlock 
the whole reason he is freezing people and taking away the magic of Halloween Town is because he is mad that his teenage love interest married a mortal. His response was like kidnapping these people and everything and trying to convince them or or whether magically or just like having conversations with them to take over the mortal world. And we learn this. And so this is where handsome Goblin Luke redeems himself after running out of that movie theater is he actually helps Marnie kind of sneak past Calabar to get climbing on this jack-o'-lantern so that she can put the talisman inside it and it, it kind of read as like a very classic like i'm the bad guy telling you my entire like plan and story and you know the kid is outsmarting the evil adult and so she goes to drop it inside and right before she does Calabar noticed he casts his freezing spell, but because this is a Disney Channel original movie where nothing bad is going to happen to these child heroes, she is able to release the talisman moments before she is frozen, and the jack-o'-lantern like lights up which was very horrible cgi watching it now but very fun uh the whole thing just like lights up and you're like yay the magic has been restored it does severely like not hurt i guess maybe hurt calabar like when this happens he he experiences something like physically but he is still able to like get the talisman even after being like so wounded by it and again we have his spiel of like he's gonna he's gonna be the the one ruler of the mortal realm and the magic realm and blah blah blah. but because of like this talisman activating it unfroze aggie and gwen and like the people who were stuck in like the movie theater and whatnot so gwen and aggie like run up and get there and are like ready to use their powers so we're like okay we kind of knew Gwen was a witch um, but like this is the first time we're seeing her like personally acknowledge that like she has powers that she's about to use and Marnie um, we know is a witch so like she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing but she stands next to her mom and grandma she's like yeah me too and Sophie's there because it's Sophie. She's like just a ray of sunshine throughout this entire film. Who's like the secret, like, like super powered witch because like it's insane how how much she just like is randomly using her powers without realizing it. Like she's like a prodigy. Yes. Which I thought was a really fun choice. Like that our our focus character is technically supposed to be Marnie, but then her younger sister is out here just like literally manipulating the world with her magic without realizing it because she just lives like the best possible life for herself as a child she's like what do i want and then it appears like (laughs) but then we find out that dylan also has magic powers and and so dylan stands with his mom grandma and his sisters to defeat calabar and there's like a ray of light like sort of moment thing that like happens with them like fighting against calabar and they win ta-da and he's like vanished ish like it's just like a he's just gone he just poofs but we know it works because Luke, handsome Goblin Luke, is no longer handsome Goblin Luke. He's just Goblin Luke and and is back to his original, you know, appearance. And our, our happy-go-lucky Halloween Town music comes back and everybody's all happy again and everybody's back to their normal personalities. And it, it ends very family-friendly of like, they all get on the bus, the magical bus, back to the mortal world. And there is the agreement that Marnie is going to be trained by Aggie and she chooses to stay in the mortal world so that she can spend more time with her daughter and her grandchildren because again we're we're ending on a very light positive note and and that is 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 the movie 90 minutes or less like <laughs> it, it is kind of crazy how much they cram into such a small time frame but like oddly is still one of in my opinion the more successful early disney channel original movies you know and this is like the fourth one 
that they released, right? So this is very early because they saw how well, uh, I think it was like Under Wraps, it was, it was like a mummy movie. It was like, that was their first one and they saw how well that did. And that kind of just pushed Disney Channel into like trying to do more original movies like that for kids because Disney Channel in this phase was trying to change their model. And like, if you want to dig into like the history of that, I highly recommend I think it was Yesterworld Entertainment on YouTube. They do a whole deep dive into the history of the Disney Channel. And it's really fascinating. I, I really, it, it was weird because I watched it and I was like, honestly, by the time they're like in Halloween Town within the first like 10 minutes of the movie and then everything just rockets. I didn't feel like the pacing was too fast. I feel like maybe with a modern lens, with an audience that's used to a very like, marvel formula now that's like two and a half hour movies and things like it could appear fast but taking it in for like what it is i was like wow this was actually like well thought out it was well done and again it's been around for 25 years like there are people who were born five years ago uh who like are probably gonna watch this movie this year and like love it just as much as we did so this whole movie and like the franchise of movies it has i mean most people just say the trilogy because there's a whole controversy with return to halloween town because the actress who plays marnie uh kimberly j brown was not asked back by disney and they recast that role a lot of fans were upset with that but that's a whole fandom thing but like there's a fandom behind this trilogy of movies I, I specifically, like, I know of this because, like, my sister's in love with this movie, but the funny thing is I go back to the third movie in this trilogy, Halloween Town High, all the time. Halloween Town High slaps. It's so good. It's so good. It's so, because it's right before, like, the high school musical era of Disney Channel movies where everything becomes a musical. And we see Sophie, like, not young adult because she's not an adult still. They're, like, in high school. But, like, as a as a non, like, small child, like, as a, as a teenager herself, like, I, I think we're seeing her at the age we first see Marnie, actually, in Halloween Town High. And it's, it's so fun because, again, she's still just, like, incredibly fucking powerful. And, like, that is kind of one of the focuses of the of the film which is cool so the one thing i like i go back to like i mean it's well i think it's well done but like it's just like small funny things here and there of just like who who names a character calabar without it already being like that's an evil name the, the giveaway like, right <laughs> he's he's the bad guy right like that's that's the bad guy the skeleton's name is benny and the mayor's name is Calabar. Like, let's just... Like... It's not in your face or anything. Not at all. It's it's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. Of course not. But yeah. Of course, like, yeah, golden, you know, Debbie Reynolds era. Mm -hmm. And she was the first person uh, that they actually cast in for the for the movie. They were like, yep, you, great. It's amazing. And like, I, I mean, like, I know Debbie Reynolds from like Singing in the Rain. That's probably one of her most famous roles. But like, also, she's the mother of Carrie Fisher, was the mother of Carrie Fisher who's, you know, the princess of my heart from Star Wars, you know? But yeah, there's like a story like where she injured herself on set and she's like, I'm not going to hold up production because production was ready to shut down until she could recover from the injury. And she's like, I'm not holding production when I've injured myself and went through the pain live on stage all the time. No, we're going to keep filming. And that's just like badass, badass right there. Damn, what, what a boss. What a boss. Yeah, you got any uh, fun trivia that you've dug up for this movie? Yes. So the one thing, so there's a, there's a shot where Marnie and Aggie are like flying on their little like broom things. Apparently that, particular scene took an entire day to film it was literally just the actors against a blue screen but they spent a whole day filming just that shot that is how not advanced like editing was in 1998 that just that shot alone they had to spend a whole day of production on i also it's probably like because of the the budget because i dug up that um it was like in a recent in interview like five years ago 
more recent, I guess. Uh, the director, in an interview, he said the film was presented to him as a 20 to $30 million project, but it ended up only being $4 million. Interesting. So you could just see where like things quickly went to the chopping block. And I mean, we don't know a lot because, of course, this is like a Disney product. So they're going to hide a lot of, you know, behind the scenes and stuff like that because they're not usually open about stuff like that but like i I, you could kind of see it in the movie maybe sometimes like just like glimpses or cracks of like oh i wonder if like this movie is a little out of order or had like a slightly different plot and they just kind of just filmed everything they could and we're like we'll make it work in post and we'll figure it out you know one of the other things i looked up is that there was actually supposed to be a different ending to this film so instead of marnie dropping the talisman into this like jack-o'-lantern in the middle of town square whatever there was actually like a whole journey that she was supposed to have in that the talisman had to like she had to go through some sort of like enchanted forest in order to place the talisman. And the goal was that as she got deeper and deeper into the forest, she was supposed to like grow older. So we were supposed to see her like age significantly. They even the makeup department even like took a mask of the actress who plays Marnie's face to like make the different prosthetics but before they could even like complete anything they rewrote the ending to her being putting it in the the jack-o'-lantern but that definitely would have been like a a creepier edge to the movie for sure to because like oh man that would have freaked me out to like watch a kid just suddenly rapidly age i thought that was something that was pretty cool so so maybe that was the right choice to like rewrite that by the disney uppers you know because i know they they originally pitched another like halloween type movie to a different director or writer or something and he had an idea of like making it darker but they were like no 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 I mean, I think that does it for Halloween Town. What a what a classic. 10 out of 10 recommend. And then I picked Casper from good old 1995. And man, was this movie a trip. If you think like Halloween Town was a lot in, in such a short time, Casper is a roller coaster of like so many things are like mentions or like briefly see and then have no context or background or anything. But like somehow this movie works. You know, it's crazy looking back at it. I was not emotionally prepared to like watch this film as an adult because I feel like I processed way more of what was happening than when I watched this as a kid. I truly don't think I haven't watched this since I was like nine. I mean, I think it's like maybe like 10, 10 or 12 or something the last time I watched it, which is still like forever ago. You know, it's like over half my life ago, which is crazy. Yeah, so 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 the movie the premise of the whole movie is like there's this the whole beginning is just so weird. Like I don't re- I didn't remember any of it. So like when it was happening, I was like, "Wait, this is the premise of the movie?" And it's like this extended before the opening credit sequence of this father died and following his death, the the only heiress was like Kerrigan, I think is her name or something, which I, it was a cool name. It, I know that's such a small thing to say, but I was like, that's not a basic name that you hear at all. And so I was like, oh, cool. So they're going through like the will, last will and testament kind of thing. And she's only left with like his big uh, manor, the Whipstaff Manor, which is a unique name as well. And she's really upset because she wants money because she's like this, you, you learn she's just greedy. She just wants money and fame and power. But she's like, I got left with this old dingy house unbeknownst to her like ghosts have inhabited it we i don't know how or when casper and his uncles got into the house and you know haunted it but like they're just there yeah we have to assume that they were decades before kerrigan's dad owned the manor like we we have we we learned that he was not he clearly wasn't the first owner which we'll get into why we know that i guess or can infer that but she and like her, I want to say it's lawyer, who is also played by the legendary Monty Python star Eric Idle, which is like so many guest stars in this movie, and it's crazy. Well, even Kerrigan herself is um Kathy Moriarty, and she's like, 
a big TV actress. Christina Ricci's in this. Bill Pullman, uh, Dan Aykroyd shows up as a Ghostbuster at one point. Anyway, we'll get to that. So, like, they try to go in the house, and then they realize it's haunted. And so they they go through this, like, whole escapade to try and get rid of these ghosts. Because she thinks there's, like, gold hidden in this mansion. She's so greedy that she's pissed that the only thing that she got left was the house. And she tosses the entire like last will and testament papers into the fire and her lawyer is like wait the deed to the house is in there and the flames revealed secret writing on the deed that was like something about treasure and that's the only reason that she gives a fuck about the manor is because of like that sequence of events as they're trying to exercise these ghosts out of this house they go through, you know, all the things. They call a priest who's played by Don Novello, who's famous apparently, but he's before my time, my generation. I recognized his voice, but I didn't recognize him. But then they also call in a Ghostbuster, which is just hilarious to be doing that. I literally wrote down the dialogue from that moment because he comes running out and he goes, who are you going to call? Some guy. And then like runs off and it was so fucking funny. I was, I was like, like that was such a well-written bit. They're at their wits' end, and they end up calling Christina Ritchie's uh, character's dad, who's played by Bill Pullman, because he is a therapist for ghosts or something like that. But like he's been like ran out of town from previous places because people, you know, it's the classic '90s thing of like if it's too like just off of with like societal uh, acceptance, you're you're an outcast get out of here kind of thing and like it's just funny of that like trope that they like really hammered on very early in the movie yeah so and then and then you get to finally you get the opening credits and you're like okay this is this is gonna be a trip got it but so cat the 13 year old daughter she and her dad end up going to this mansion and they kind of like the plan is to like only be there for like a week or something a couple weeks because Kat's really upset of like all the moving around kind of thing. She wants a normal life. She's tired of being tied in with her dad of a freak and stuff. Though like she doesn't think of him as a freak. She sees him as like this broken person because their mother passed away. And like this kind of ties in with the theme of like men need therapists because he's really not over the passing of their mother. He's not okay. Hence, he's been trying to get in contact with her by talking, by being a therapist for ghosts. So that that that's that whole thing. But like immediately when they start unpacking, like Casper is just hanging around. He's a ghost. We don't know why he's there or anything. He's just there. Because we also find out like they can leave. Like they're not tied to this manner at all he literally like and there's a scene where like she's new at this new school he shows up in a poster of mount rushmore and like winks at her he like travels down telephone wires to like go like because that's actually what happened at he planted the idea in kerrigan's head to call james this ghost therapist and so i was like oh so he can just leave i was like they just like being at Whipstaff Manor, apparently, which is not a trope that I feel like you see often. It's like the ghosts stay with the property, and these ghosts are like, I'll go wherever the fuck I want. Thank you. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it seems like Casper is kind of just stuck wherever his uncles go. He's just kind of tied with them for whatever reason, because maybe because he is a kid ghost, you know, which is kind of like dark, but like we don't really dive into it until later. It's super dark. But anyways, so like Casper tries to like, because he's kind of got a crush on Cat, which is kind of like weird. And you're like, so this is where this kind of like uh, fetish type thing kind of just popped into media like crazy, I feel like, was this as well as, you know, the movie Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg and stuff like that. So he tries to like talk to Cat. She freaks out. And it's just this whole thing of like, there's ghosts, there's ghosts. And the dad gets crazy excited. And then like Casper's like, Guys, you gotta be careful. My uncles will be back any moment. And then the uncles all return from, like, gambling and having a night out on the town or something like that. Yes. And it just, it's just this whole epic sequence of just nonsense of, like, battling these ghosts. And, like, Bill Pullman's character, he he gets, like, a vacuum and, like, sucking them up. And he's, like, fighting them with brooms. And it's just hilarious. But, like, I can't, like... 
they did so well for a movie that came out in 95 of having these actors react to nothing, knowing that these ghosts were going to be put in post. Like, it was oddly so realistic. It's very believable acting in this world. It helps that, like, Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's movie company, is kind of backing this. So they're like, we're going to do this right. We're going to help you get the resources to make sure this is done right. Anyways, so it ends up being, like, like a great thing for, for the dad to really test out his philosophy and psychiatry with these ghosts because clearly these uncles are disturbed by something but they're also playing with him because there's like a sequence where they fake that his wife wants to talk because they can talk to her from the other side and it's like really cruel in the end yeah it winds up so first of all these uncles because casper's based off of old comics the the harvey comics and they're known as the ghostly trio it's these three uncles i have so many questions about these uncles but they have individual names and they are fatso stretch and stinky and that just tells you everything you need to know about them but at the end of this prank it's literally like fatso in drag and he like gives a big kiss on the lips to james this dad ghost therapist guy and it was like heartbreaking he like there's this big buildup of james thinking that he's gonna get to see his wife then it's not that and it's very clearly meant to be a funny bit and i'm sure it landed maybe a little bit differently at a different age but watching it like this i'm like oh oof like that's just like painful he, he falls depressed after that and like it's a whole sorry i'm just like i'm trying to think ahead of this movie but it, like goes off the rails after this point i feel like yes also mind you this whole time uh we do not see kerrigan or her lawyer like at all um they just they just completely fall off the map for about 40 minutes of the film um before they come back so the 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 trio feel bad so they try they want to try and cheer him up so they they end up after this whole breakfast thing where casper makes everyone breakfast which is so funny because when the uncles show up they like scarf it down and i i always remember just vividly that scene of all this like mashed food together because it's just so picturesque of like mess because they don't digest anything it just goes straight through them so that somehow it gets mangled and just dumps out all over the floor which is hilarious but after that they end up like trying to work uh with dr james mainly to make him feel better because they feel bad about the prank and stuff like that meanwhile casper and cat are having this like weird rocky relationship of like trying to be friends but casper clearly has like this huge crush and cat doesn't see him as any possibility because he's not a real boy yeah there was a there was a scene that was like really interesting that i felt like was well done to truly get across that like Casper is a child that died and had no more maturing because he died. Cat was like falling asleep. And one of these things too is that the room she picked to like live in while they were there happened to be Casper's room, of course, narratively. And so they were like in the room and she was like falling asleep. And Casper says to her, like, as she's asleep, like, can I keep you? And it was like a really heartbreaking moment I because I was like, damn, like, this kid has three uncles, which we, we only hear of Casper's mom once in the whole movie. And it's a, a when a dress gets pulled out of like a box. That's it. We find out more about his dad a little bit later, kind of ish but i'm like who did these uncles belong to i was like are these three uncles the brothers to the dad i was like are they the brothers to the mom like where do they fit in because they're horrible and they're all he has um they literally abuse him like like they are emotionally abusive they are neglectful and like they're ghosts so it feels weird to like say that but like he's a kid and so when he said that to her and obviously she doesn't respond and then he kisses her on the cheek which i felt weird about but again it it, it just showed a place of like a child like a literal child with zero guidance lost and has like finally one person who sees him 
after this like kind of back and forth, Kat kind of like wants to try to help Casper. She kind of like follows her dad's footsteps a little bit because like she also sees like Casper is broken, you know, because he's this kid ghost. So they end up like finding a bunch of toys and old belongings of his, and Casper starts having these like memories awaken kind of things. Like, oh, this is the sled I played with outside, and this is the uh, baseball glove and stuff like that. And we learn through this that this house has a lot of secrets to it because this house is Casper's father's house at one point. His father owned this house. And when he died, he became a ghost to keep his dad company because his dad was destroyed. Uh, And we learn Casper is like, wait, there's a secret tunnel. And they go on this extravagant Rube Goldberg machine theme park ride down to the basement because it's like, oh, this is clearly like the the stereotypical scientist who lives alone, got to have all these machines help get me ready in the morning before I do a day of science kind of thing. Like that, the, the tropey trope that is used all the time in these comedy movies because they go through like a, 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 like a teeth brushing, a hair combing, hair washing, face washing, like whole contraption. It's like a car wash for people. It's hilarious. Uh, and they get down to the basement, which, like, it's massive, and I don't know how it fits or anything. It's, like, made out of a cave, I guess. And it's a giant machine down there that the dad was working on to try to bring ghosts back to life. And they called it the Lazarus, which I was like, oh, of course, yeah. Well, meanwhile, so this is where Kerrigan and her lawyer, I think his name's Dibs, come back. So the ghosts... Hold on. So the ghostly trio with James, the the like therapy's not going great and they're still feeling bad. They literally kidnap him to go get drunk. So they go to a they take James to a bar, they leave. Kerrigan and Dibs see that and then like sneak into the house and witness Kat and Casper like go down this whole like amusement park tunnel thing. And then they also go down this whole amusement park like tunnel thing. And that happens because after they set up all his like toys and everything you mentioned the sled we find out the sled is technically the reason casper died he got pneumonia from playing out in the cold for too long which again i feel like gives us a rough time frame of like when his dad must have owned that mansion because like people aren't really like dying of pneumonia anymore at least kids like in that that way you know and so they they go down and then there's this door that's like in this laboratory that Casper very casually he's like says something about like oh that's that's the treasure room or something like that Kerrigan and her lawyer are like ding 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 like we found it they can't get into it because they don't know the combination and so Kerrigan has the clever idea of like oh one of us just needs to become a ghost gets in there opens it from the inside and then we have all the treasure. And so this hilarious trying to kill each other sequence happens between Kerrigan and her lawyer, Dibs. It's just so funny of them trying to kill each other. And it ends up where Kerrigan goes off the cliff in her Range Rover and dies. And then she becomes this like crazy giant ghost who is just has more work done into her as a ghost than all the other ghosts in CGI which is weird. Okay, there are like four different ethereal character designs that are within this because, well, we'll get into that, but we're, we're hitting two so far. Kerrigan looks vastly different as a ghost than Casper and the ghostly trio. Meanwhile, back at the bar where James is getting drunk with all the uncles and stuff, they end up like doing karaoke and stuff. And he, he's he's gone. He's plastered. He's not making sense. And I forgot what the clever idea was, but he's like, I'm going to go spend more time with my daughter. Yeah, and, but the ghosts were like, no, nah, we got to be a quartet because we're so good. And so they plan to kill him so that they can be like a kick-ass ghostly quartet. But then in his drunken state, he like expresses like how much they like mean to him and how like he'll tell Kerrigan to like go fuck off basically. And so they're like, wait, 
Like, James is cool. And then he falls into a trench and dies. That's right outside the bar doors. Like, who does that? So it's this, like, oh, we'll kill him. Oh, wait. He's like a human, and he's cool. And then he just fucking falls in a trench. And now James is a ghost. And James is our third character design. Because James is a weird cross between what they did with Kerrigan and the ghostly trio slash Casper. Where he, like has his like human body features but he is not nearly as defined as kerrigan's ghost is it, it's it was strange his design was whack they they race back home uh this whole time cat and casper are busy trying to they're trying to figure out how to use the machine to bring casper back but also find more of this liquid life force but they end up like getting the whole ending is so mixed up because so much happens at the same time. Hold on. Yeah. So meanwhile, while they're down in this laboratory, there is a whole like foyer of like 50 middle school children because we skipped over this whole part. But like there was a, a, a weird sequence of like a Halloween party for the new school that Cat's attending got canceled because, and again, I think this shows the time period of the movie because it was not meant to be a joke. At least I don't think it was the way that it was written where the teacher comes in and he's like, Hey guys, I'm really sorry, but like the asbestos removal in the gym is taking longer than intended. And like the joke there was not that there was asbestos. And I was like, Oh boy. Okay. So then you have your classic like mean girl, popular character and she's like well my mom and dad just finished building our boathouse she's like so we can have the party there and they're like great and then they make the awkward new girl like introduce herself and the whole class is like poking fun until they find out that she lives at whipstaff and then they vote without asking her if the halloween party can be at whipstaff and so it is like it's just decided she gets no say they didn't ask her dad she didn't ask her dad like there's just it's just definitive now the teacher's like okay well who votes for the boathouse nobody raises their hand he's like who votes for which staff manor and everybody raises their hand he's like great well we'll be there you're you're hosting the halloween party so all these kids are upstairs as kerrigan's ghost is downstairs uh, part of this too is like she launches dibs and killing him out of the window of the laboratory because he decides he wants to like double cross her and just take the treasure because he's like well sex to suck you're a ghost and uh see ya and so she literally just picks him up and chucks him which i was like okay so the ghost can can kill people that's new i'm like <laughs> a lot of rules of the uh the world get get made up at the end here you know that we learn that's like oh this is possible cool so yeah so there's that whole fight because kerrigan's trying to get the life force from or the whole battle over the life force between kerrigan casper and cat kind of thing and then lo and behold out of nowhere Dad comes home in this, like, crazy, like, super high of, like, I'm free and flying and ghost and I have no cares, like, because I guess when you die, you take on the attributes, for the most part, of what you were like in your last consciousness. So he's, like, a little just, like... Still just drunk as fuck. <laughs> and the uncles are, like, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. Uh, We didn't mean for this to happen. And Kat's, like, devastated because she has no dad. And, like, that sobers him in that moment. And it's, like, really touching moment. And so, like, this whole fight ensues. And they end up getting the life essence. Casper makes the hard decision to... The decent and loving decision to use it on Kat's dad because... Even though he lost being with his father, he still was around with him, even though he died, but his dad lost him. So he doesn't want Cat to go through that, like, similar pain. So then, you know, dad comes back to life, like, you know, because, you know, that, that works in this universe. And then we have to go upstairs to the party because that still needs to be, you know, uh, finished. And there's this prank that's been planned for cat all along i think it's like the kids were like amber and vic or something like that yes yeah and amber's the amber was the mean girl with the boathouse so they they have this whole prank to try and scare the life out of cat kind of thing and like 
it's like this whole thing of like being on like each other's shoulders or something like that. And so stupid. And the ghostly trio just show up and scare the bejesus out of them. And they run out the door and like the whole school laughs. But then like, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that that's before we get to like this ending ending. Um, and so then there's like this whole dance thing. And, you know, you know how these movies go. A voice calls out. And it turns out it's the dead wife of James and she visits him and she's like, stop using me as like a crutch kind of thing. You got a daughter to take care of. Which gets us to our our fourth ethereal design, because the one thing that the ghostly trio does right in this entire movie is they held up their promise truly to get Amelia to, to talk with James. But she is an angel like it's clarified that she's an angel which i actually wrote down because i thought it was very funny there's a foreshadowing moment because we don't know that she's going to appear as an angel we kind of assume she's probably going to appear as like a ghost of some sort or something when they find when the ghostly trio finds a picture of amelia in all of james's stuff they like just start talking very kindly about her meaning like that they know her that's how james realizes that they know her but one of them says, she's always been an angel to me. And I thought that that was so funny when she actually reveals herself like as an angel at the end. Her character design is fully, she's just the actor with some CGI glow behind her. And like they like have kind of blurred out from her like knees down almost in that like she's like a like a floating just like radiant being looks nothing like the ghosts at all. And I was like, okay. And now there's just like a CGI human, which is an entirely different vibe from all of the other CGI that's in the, in the movie. And then she does also grant a wish to Casper to be a real boy for a night to dance with Kat. And so they have this whole like dance moment on the dance floor, which is kind of weird being a, adult now watching like two 13 year olds you know fall in love kind of yeah it's awkward and weird but then as like you know it's very like stereotypical like they get the one dance and then casper becomes a ghost and it freaks out everybody but they kiss they kiss and as mid kiss he becomes the ghost and then all of a sudden it's like they do a shot where like you're seeing cat seeing all of the students through Casper. It's like a weird like fisheye lens sort of moment. And it's so funny the way that they did that. (laughs) And then like all the kids freak out and it's this whole thing of them running out the house and it's just silly and nonsense. And like that's that's kind of just how the movie ends and it becomes like a dance party with Cat, her dad, and the ghosts that are still around. The uncles like play uh, the, the theme music, basically, like the Casper theme music and then Cat, James, and Casper all dance. Which is also a badass cover of the original theme song by Little Richard, which is like, how did I forget that of this movie? Out of all the things of this movie I could forget, I forgot that. But yeah, that's that's pretty much Casper in a nutshell. Like it's crazy the 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 roller coaster that it is. James needed therapy, Casper needed therapy, and those uncles fucking needed therapy. And you know what? Who were the ones who tried? The the uncles. The uncles at least sat down with James and tried to go to therapy. So so some fun stuff I kinda dug up. So I found out that this was the first feature-length film with a CGI main character. Like, we've had CGI characters before, but this is the first movie that it was a main character, which is pretty, you know, I think well done. Very successful. Very successful. Because I know that the first fully CGI character is this stained-glass knight in the 1985 young Sherlock Holmes movie. But yeah, uh, I'll also which was weird for me to connect the dots now, later in life. The human form of Casper is this actor, Devin Sawa. I know him from Wild America, which is this like crazy adventure movie of these brothers, which is based on a true story about these brothers who go and film wild animals throughout America and stuff and submit it to like National Geographic kind of thing. Really good movie. But also, I didn't realize he was also a character in Final Destination. 
So I did write this down. I did do my notes. I just didn't look at my notes. ILM did do the digital characters. So that was all ILM. So like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, it's just a fun, fun movie. A, f- a fun movie that watching as an adult is super dark and and kind of fucked up. Uh, <laughs> but they, they did say too that there was originally, I think, a different... It was either supposed to be like a co-direction or it was originally supposed to be directed by somebody different. And that person left because of the darker interpretation that they went for on this film. Even just that note of like saying that Casper died of pneumonia because in an, in some of the like Harvey comics, it, it was more just like, he was born a ghost to ghost parents. Like that was kind of his like origin story, quote unquote. And so, you know, clearly there was thought put into this by the writers of wanting to have some sort of substance, but still making like a, a fun family film. Also, I'm fairly certain they only cursed once in this whole movie. And, and I think it only happened once because my ears perked up to it from watching it. And it was when Dibs was arguing with Ghost Kerrigan. And he said, I'm going to live in a mansion and I'm going to have a dog named Kerrigan. And then he's like, a bitch just like you. And it was (laughs) and I was like, dang. And then she launched him out the window. So (laughs) so they killed the one character that uh, that, you know, was being foul. Well, any uh, final thoughts? Nah, it's just fun watching these movies that came out that we, you know, watched when we were kids with an adult lens. I know we did that with some other movies already too, but I just, it's one of my, it's one of the things I'm very much enjoying about these, these watches. I I can't wait till we get to a couple movies where like, oh, these are not good movies. Like we'll find some gems that are not gems anymore, you know? And I can't wait till we do that because then we'll be like, um... I don't know why I liked this as a kid, but I did. And now I know it's wrong. Great. So I guess that wraps it up for this episode of Resident Reels. What do we got next? Coming up next, we have our first chunk of season two of Breaking Bad episodes. So I am finishing up watching those and uh, I'm I'm. I'm in it. Listen, man, I'm still invested. I'm excited to talk about these first four episodes. I know this season's going to be a trip. And I was like, when I started watching it, I was quickly like, I need to message Adam and be like, do not research anything. Okay. Like there's too much spoilers for this season. If you look anything up. Yeah. I, I will be having done zero research so you can fill in all the gaps without giving me spoilers until I finish the season. Well, I guess that does it for us. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. Uh, I mean, we've been pretty good at keeping people informed when episodes go out on our Instagram mainly. It's kind of our go-to place for updates right now. But yeah, please subscribe, like us, follow us, leave comments, rate us, you know, all the good, you know, podcast things. Thanks for listening to Resident Reels and we'll see you next week. See ya. Cheers.